All right, good morning. Welcome, everybody. I was talking to a few people. This is their first time back in the building in like a year. Let's welcome them. So good. Lots of us. Lots of us engaging, entering, walking back into this space. So it's good to have everybody here. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at Crossroads. If you're tuning in online, thank you. If you're on the atrium or on the east patio or in your car, I don't know, wherever you are right now in your time, in your place, maybe you're in your living room watching it and it's Thursday or Tuesday. It's great to have you connecting, being a part of it. Hey, before we jump into our talk this morning, uh, I've got my coffee mug here because today we launched a brand new initiative called Coffee with a Cause. Did you see the coffee out there? So first of all, it's way better coffee than we've had in a while. So that is awesome. Second of all, all of the coffee that we'll be using, we'll be switching it up every, I don't know, eight weeks or so. And uh, it all has a purpose to it. All has a cause, good work that's being done around the world. And uh, so they're partners and our partners in hope and they're ethically sourced and fair trade. Coffee is one of the most horrendously painful industries that keeps people in ser servitude and modern day slavery in our world. That chocolate is another one. But coffee is one of those. And so we as a, a church have decided that we want uh, our coffee to transform the world. We want to actually be everyday normal peacemaking drinkers just with our coffee. So make sure you try the coffee. And there's two things. One, uh, be a part of Coffee with the Cause. So there's a whole team of people that work in First Impressions. You could give one, one Sunday a month, one Sunday a quarter to help put the coffee out, get it ready, create a nice welcoming space in the atrium. And if you like good coffee and you like coffee that actually transforms the world, make sure you continue to give generously in the offering into the Pieces Worth It campaign because we want to make sure everything we do here uh, really does bring about the kingdom of God in this world, including our coffee. All right? Okay. 60% of you, but I'll take 60% of this many people in the room. Am I right, John Smith? Right? You just, you take it. Our founding pastor's here this morning. So good to have John here. So listen, we are in, yeah, give John a great big hand. I got, John got a cat call. He got a woo, got, got a cat call. I don't know. He's especially dressed today, I guess. So uh, good to see everybody. Thank you for being here as we launch our 10 a.m. kind of celebration uh, together this summer. So it is really good to have everyone. We're in a series called The Spirituality of Happiness. And uh, we're like jumping into what does it mean to learn from happy people? And what is happiness? And our anchor verse for this series, kind of if you're a Bible person, the verse that I would encourage you to memorize is the very first poem in the book of Psalms, which is a book of poems, Psalm 1, 1 through 2. It says, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, right? Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law they meditate day and night. We said, uh, in week one, we said science and scripture reveal a spirituality of happiness. And we said the law of God is love. The law of God is Jesus, and that's what we meditate on. That's what we, it's the lens we read the Bible, all that stuff. And we said happiness is not toxic positivity, having to just say everything is okay, right? And then in the, uh, the next week, we started going into the hallmarks. What does science say are kind of like the hallmarks of a happy life? And we talked about divine connection. Pastor Katie Martinez shared that week. And then uh, the next week, we talked about treasuring gratitude, right? And what does it look like to remember well? And then we talked about strengths and virtues. And today, I want to talk about uh, acts of kindness. How many of y'all have ever been the recipient of somebody being kind? You see how I did that? I didn't ask if you've ever been kind, because that's embarrassing if you can't raise your hand. Uh, but uh, so we, we try to make it a little bit more positive spin. 
acts of kindness. Now, kindness is a character strength. So if you are here last week, we talked about character strengths, how there are 24 character strengths that are a part of six virtues, six higher virtues that science is showing us, and how really this is God. Like, these virtues are God in the world. And it's pretty amazing because every human being has access to these virtues and these qualities. And so kindness is a character strength that is related to the virtue of humanity. That's where kindness fits in the whole metric. So if you're a fill-in-the-blank person, there's your first fill-in in your talk notes. If you're not a fill-in-the-blank person, okay, ignore them. That's fine. I'm not a fill-in-the-blank person either, so uh, I understand totally. But kindness fits into this category of how do we become more humane people. And there's two other character qualities that go with this. It's love and social intelligence. Love and social intelligence, right? These character strengths help us with our one-on-one personal relationships, right? So if you meet somebody and they are just awesome at one-on-one personal relationships, that means they probably have a very high virtue quotient when it comes to humanity, really value one another. Now, kindness could simply be defined as being nice to others, (laughs) right? In its most simplest form, we could say, just be nice, right? That's what kindness is. But the science gives us a really cool definition that lines up with the way we think about all of spirituality here at Crossroads. It's interesting. So the character strength of kindness is defined as being generous with others. I love that, being generous with others. And this is what the science says. It defines generosity as giving your time, your money, and your talent to support those in need. Now, if you've been around Crossroads for a while, hopefully that sounds familiar. We say time, talent, and treasure because I went to Bible school and everything has to start with the same letter. Time, money, and talent does not flow off the tongue. Time, talent, and treasure, that'll preach, all right? And so we say time, talent, treasure, but the science backs us up that this is what kind people are. Kind people aren't just nice people, right? They don't just say, oh, hope all is well with you, smile, but they are generous with the time, the talent, and the treasure. And the science of happiness, as they study happy people, they show that people who care for others' well-being through acts of altruism, right? In other words, you do nice things without expecting anything back. Volunteering, like on things like Coffee with a Cause or the Family Ministries, I'm just throwing that out there. Or they are part of a community of relationships, like a church, let's say, that people who are invested in that are happier and less depressed. Like, that's just the science. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at all the studies that are showing this, right? That these are the types of behaviors that produce strength in our inner personhood. So people who volunteer or they care for others on a consistent basis, they tend to have better uh, not only psychological well-being, but also physiological well-being. Like there's actual studies that have been done that saying when you are kind to others, when you are generous with others, you are actually more protected from disease and even death. I look pretty good for 157. That's how kind I am. That's how kind I am, right? Now, here's the thing. We all experience kindness in unique ways. So we experience kindness through strangers. You ever had a stranger kind of open the door for you? A stranger uh, give you $1,000, you know, just you walk, they walk up to you on the street. No, that hasn't, hasn't happened to me either. Maybe today. I don't know if there's any strangers in the room. But we experience kindness from strangers, right? And kindness from strangers does more than just kind of encourage us, right? Kindness from strangers does something pretty cool. Kindness from strangers actually encourages us to take action. Like when we witness someone, when we see someone acting kind, we are more prone, the science says, to go out and do something kind for someone else. 
Now, there's another space that particularly is good for us to celebrate and think about today, and that is the kindness of parents. We experience kindness, and our development needs to experience the kindness of parents. We need to experience the generosity of parents with their time. We need to experience the generosity of parents with their treasure. Can I get an amen for everybody under the age of 18? 26 these days, whatever it might be. I don't know, you know. We need that in our lives, and, and I think we need that because when our parents display kindness to us, really healthy kindness, it assures us of our personhood. It assures us of our value, that we are valuable, that we are worthy of love and attention. And when we remove that, when we don't have that kindness being poured into us, it presents all sorts of developmental problems in our lives. But let's be honest. Kindness isn't always easy. For me, uh, well, think about it in your life. Where is it that you are the most unlikely to be kind? Just give you a minute. To, where is that moment? Because I can tell you exactly where mine is. Mine is here in northern Colorado in a rotary. What do you all call them, roundabouts? What do you call them here? Roundabouts. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, roundabouts. Yeah, 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 I get it, right? We call them rotaries where they were invented. Uh, and so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just the, I, so I said this on Thursday night and on Friday, I was in a rotary in our, we live in, behind the Johnstown Plaza there. And I don't know, this is rotaries new to people. And I about got hit by somebody in a rotary. They just go, like, they don't understand. I don't know if it's not part of your curricula for getting your driver's license here. I really don't know. <laughs> People stop in rotaries here. Like, they literally enter the rotary, and they're like, ah! <laughs> and I, I am generally not kind in that moment, because it's a matter of safety, right? I mean, it's a matter of safety, so I feel like it's the spiritual gift that I can give them to blast on my horn. I keep all my hands inside the vehicle. It's okay. Don't worry about that, but, but it is hard. It is hard to be kind at times, and why is it hard to be kind at times? Well, it's hard at, at times to be kind simply because we don't have the time to be kind. We're so rushed, right? We don't have the space to be kind. We don't have the space to be generous in our finances. We don't have the space to be generous in our time. We don't have the space to be generous with our talents because we're using our talents up in all these things. And so when the moment comes, the gift from heaven comes to be able to be generous with our time, to take the, the time to be kind to someone, to take a few extra dollars to be kind, we're not ready for it. And sometimes we think kindness is just doing nice stuff for somebody, and then hopefully they'll do something back. But as a, as a follower of Jesus, and as a person who says, you know what, I really want to think about my spiritual life, the scriptures really do offer us a, a really pretty important and powerful lesson, some great wisdom on what really is kindness at its like fullness. So I wanted to take a look at a couple scripture verses today together, and you can follow along on your talk notes or whatever it might be where you feel most comfortable. Um, but I want to just share some things that I think scripture reveals to us. If we take a big look at what is kindness in terms of how God, how the universe would describe it, whatever word you like to use there, right? So the first thing I would say is one of the great themes of scripture, if you're kind of new to the Bible that you should know is, one of the great themes of the Bible and of God is this idea of what gets oftentimes translated as loving kindness. Loving kindness. So from really all throughout both Old and New Testament, what we would say the first part of the Bible or what the Jewish people would call their scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, all the way into the New Testament, 
we have this big picture that God is what is called loving kindness. It's a translation of a very specific Hebrew word. And this idea of loving kindness is displayed really well in one of the poems in the Psalms. Psalm gives us this, and you could go all throughout, and you could do a little word study. You could see this being described of God over and over again. But in Psalm 36, verses 5 through 9, we get this beautiful poem that talks about loving kindness, which we'll think of as divine kindness, right? Like the example of what kindness is. So here's what the the poet writes. The poet says, your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So this first opening line is letting us know that this divine kindness, it knows no boundaries. It's everywhere. You can't escape it. You can't run away from it. It's not dependent upon your location. It doesn't matter what zip code you're in. It doesn't matter what religion you're a part of. If we believe that there is one God permeating all things, sustaining all things, and this one God is loving kindness, it's everywhere. And then the the poem kind of takes a shift and, and starts to talk about something else and not loving kindness, which should clue us in that they're related. So the poet says, your righteousness, now remember, anytime you see the word righteousness, you should think justice. Like, don't think what maybe has been ingrained in us, that righteousness is like morality, like not playing cards. Like, God would never play cards. Those are of the devil. God would never drink alcohol. God would never, like, so don't, don't think about those things, that there's probably wisdom and, and, and lack of wisdom in certain choices in our world, but you should always understand the righteousness of God for the, for the Hebrew mind, for the scriptures, is about the justice of God, the right action towards humanity, right? So it says, the righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast, right? So the poet is saying, listen, your way of acting which is loving kindness, your way of acting, it's, it's firm, it's set. You, you, you can't move it. It is what it is. It's like a great deep. It's, it's so hard to understand. But we're, we're seeing that divine kindness is in relationship to divine justice. And, and we talk about divine justice here as distributive justice. God's belief, right, that we see all throughout the scripture that the land is God's. <laughs> this world is God's. And we're to distribute it with enough for everyone. There should be equity for everyone, right? There is this this distributive justice of God. And if, if justice, divine justice happens, you don't need things like retributive justice. You don't need things like restorative justice because everybody has enough. Everybody say enough. Okay, don't hear. Some of you are freaking out. Like you're freaking out because you think I'm talking about socialism. Okay, calm down. Just calm down. We're talking about enoughism, right? We're talking about a God that says, none of my children should not eat today, while others have refrigerators full of food that could last for months. That's, that's distributive justice. That's the heartbeat and the vision of God, enough. Now, you wanna work hard, you wanna have, take advantage of the opportunities you have, whatever it might be, that's a totally different story. But when God talks about justice and talks about the world, it's, it's this equitable distribution, not of my planet, not of my land, but of God's, right? So that's the idea here. And we see that the loving kindness of God is baked into that. So the psalmist goes on and says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Now listen to this. This is that distributive justice spelled out. They, all humanity, every one of us, drink their fill of the abundance of your house. 
It's universal. Everyone drinks their fill. And you give, them to, you give them to drink of the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. I love this. That the loving kindness of God is a distribution to all people. It gives life to everyone. And to live in that, to be a part of that, is to say every human being on the planet, regardless of race, religion, creed, sexuality, is a part of this. Is a part of God's household. So you fast forward to the life of Jesus, and as Christians, we profess in faith that Jesus is, we use this word incarnation, but we could just say is the visible representation, that Jesus' life, his teaching, his way of interacting is the perfect way of living out loving kindness. And so we believe that Jesus shows the way of living, of loving kindness. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we can misuse that and we can control people with that or we can recognize that what Jesus is saying is I'm offering you the way to life that is for everyone. I'm offering you the way to love. I'm offering you the way to loving kindness. I'm offering you the way to justice. And it is for everyone. And if you don't get me right, you're gonna get it wrong. (laughs) That's the idea. And so Jesus kind of encapsulates it in this really interesting phrase. In Luke chapter 6, we have Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that we get in Matthew, this idea of what is the big life of a peacemaker, so to speak. But in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about there is my way and there is a different way. And he says, he's talking in context of like forgiveness and lending with interest, right? Because Jesus, by the way, is a deeply interested person in how the poor are treated, It's really difficult to understand Jesus, but not understand the matrix of first century Judaism and what was happening to the peasants and what was happening to to the people in their land. And so Jesus comes in opposition to a way that is oppressing people, and he's doing it in a nonviolent way. And so he's very interested in in what happens when people borrow and lend at interest, and then they lose the land that is meant to be with their family for all of eternity because God gave it to them. And but so Jesus is talking about this very practically, and he says, listen, you've heard these things. He says, but I'm going to tell you, love your enemies and do good to them. Love your, this is loving kindness. Love your enemies and do good to them. Lend expecting nothing back. Why doesn't Jesus just, just say, give it? <laughs> just get, give it away. Like lend expecting nothing. That's not lending, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not. Son of God. <laughs> What you just described is not lending, it's giving. (laughs) And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. But, 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 no, you got it. Because then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Elsewhere, Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. For God, self, himself, herself, whichever pronouns you prefer, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Oh, that just gets you right in the saddle, doesn't it? How many of y'all would love for that to say, God is kind to the grateful and the righteous? Yeah, especially as good church people. Like, yes, just what I thought. I'm better than everybody else. See, loving kindness has nothing to do with the object of the love. It has everything to do with the subject of who's loving. And we can't wrap our head around that, but that's the idea of God, right? That's the idea of, when we can say God is love, it's this perfect idea, this understanding that 
God pours out kindness on the wicked and the ungrateful. Some of you are like, your life makes sense now. You're like, oh, that's why good stuff happens to me every now and then. <laughs> Just kidding. Some of you will get that joke on the way home. Be like, I am not going back there. How dare he accuse me of being ungrateful. But you, we understand this, right? Dad's in the room, parents in the room. Y'all ever been kind to your ungrateful, wicked children? <laughs> I know your kids are with you today, so you can't say it. We'll talk later. I understand, right? But that's what loving kindness is. And there's another thing that Scripture reveals that's really powerful and counterintuitive, and it's part of the upside-down kingdom of God that's here. Stop waiting for it. Stop participating in it. And that is this, that you cannot give this loving kindness away. You cannot live this life of lending without expecting. You can't live this life of loving your enemy. You can't live this life of being, you know, pouring out kindness into ungrateful, wicked people. Which, by the way, I think Jesus says that because he knows we're always going to get it wrong. <laughs> like, we're going to say, oh, that person's so ungrateful, but we're just not, we don't know their story. And we're going to say, oh, that person's wicked, but we just don't understand their life the way that God does. And so I think that's why we're told, like, no, you pour out kindness on everybody because you're going to get it wrong. You're actually going to kill God. <laughs> so let's just be careful about who we say is in and out. And that's what, that's what we have here. And the only way you get to that space is to first accept it. Like, we can't give away what we don't have, right? I, I would love to be able to give you a million dollars. Bad news is I don't have a million dollars. So I can't give it away to you. But if I can learn to accept this loving kindness of God, that it is, it is God's one way, it's just poured out over, it's all that it is, just being poor. If I can actually learn to accept that and get my value, then I can start giving it away because I start to realize how little I deserve it, how little I expect it in my life. And then I can just like put away all those barriers, all those things that I want to divide people with and say, okay, this is what it means to be Jesus. See, in Ephesians, it says, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. Here's the crazy thing about how God has forgiven you in Christ. Like, it's done. Like, you're forgiven. God never held the record. You just thought God did, because we do. <laughs> this is the crazy thing about the tension we see in Scripture of trying to understand what is truly, you can't understand it, is that you are forgiven because you're known by God, your creator. Like, all the things that you'll ever do, that you've ever done, they're forgiven. Now, you can choose to live in that truth, you can choose to live in the forgiveness and the freedom that comes from it and let it transform you or not. But that's how forgiveness works with God. It's just, yeah, it's perfect. You ever like go up to a, and apologize to somebody and they go, yeah, yeah, no big deal. I totally get it. You just move on. Like God doesn't even say, yeah, yeah, no big deal. God says, oh, well, let me help you understand why that was a part of your life and why that was necessary but not enough and how I'm using it in your life. Like it's, it's mind-blowing. It just, it's, it changes everything. And Romans actually says it really powerfully. And I'm always skeptical <laughs> to just pull one sentence out of the letter to the Romans. Because the letter to the Romans is probably the most difficult letter in all of Christian writing, in the scripture at least. 
very complicated, very complex arguments, rhetoric that's being used. And that this, verse, this, this letter has been used and verses have been pulled out to abuse people, to control people. To, so I'm very hesitant, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> but I am going to say that I think the verse that I want to share with you is like the interpretive key to particularly the first few chapters of Romans. And, and when Paul's building an argument talking about just how bad everybody, look at what this person does and what this person does, and they're terrible, and they're terrible. And, and when you're just like, you're in with Paul, you're like, yes, they're evil, they're all going to burn. Paul's like, but you're them. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. No, I'm not. I've never murdered anybody. I'm not this. I'm not. And Paul's like, yes, you do. And you judge people, and you condemn people, and you live this life of judgment. And then he says this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, listen, do you hold his priceless kindness, God's priceless kindness, forbearance and patience in low esteem, unaware that the kindness of God would lead you to repentance? That the kindness of God would lead to repentance? And some of you just got super excited. You're like, finally, he's going to talk about repentance. Let's get, let's get some real meat in here, right? Okay, but listen, here's what I'm going to say to you. This word repentance that we use, we often misunderstand it. We misunderstand this word repentance that gets translated and then used in such a way to control people. And we think of it oftentimes as like, well, something, you do something bad, right? It's like, and then you experience a consequence, a punishment for that. The punishment is bad enough. You realize I shouldn't have done that. I say, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I'll never, ever, ever do it again. I promise. And we say, there we are, we're transformed. And then a few days later, <laughs> a few hours later, like, oh, I did it again. But, but this word for repentance really it literally means to change one's mind. Now, not to change your mind as in I was going to get chocolate chip and now I'm going to get mint chocolate chip, okay? Not that kind of change your mind. Some of you are like, that's easy. I can change my mind right now. I'm going to, <laughs> like... <laughs> But to literally change the way your mind works, to rewire it. It's like what happens to you every, say, 10 years or so. How many of y'all been married more than 10 years, right? You know that that person you married 10 years ago is different. They've literally changed. Their actual chemical brain makeup has changed. You have new likes and dislikes, all those types of things. So why Paul would say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your mind, like, that's how transformation takes place. And so what we, under, we have to understand is that God resists evil, love resists evil, and conquers it, not with punishment, but with good, with kindness. That's what this passage is saying. It's the kindness of God that leads to a changed mind. So God shocks us and stuns us into love. It's not that God loves us when we change or if we change. God loves us so that we can change, so that we can be transformed, so that we can come to a place of repentance. And that's the only way that long-term change works. Long-term change doesn't happen through shame. It doesn't happen through guilt. It doesn't happen through any of those things. It's only when I'm secure in my love. It's only when I'm secure knowing my value. Think about it. Like, it's the difference between, I can't believe I just did that. I hope my dad doesn't find out. <laughs> or... I can't believe I just did that. I need to talk to my dad. That's the difference. 
And what produces hope and life and joy and transformation is being grounded in, not a fear, but being grounded in love. So the human, like ego, this is the way Richard Rohr, a Franciscan uh, author and priest would say it, is that we expect this, sin, you wound someone, I'm wounded, I do something bad, punishment, repentance, and then transformation. But here's what I say, that's works-based spirituality. That's works-based. It sounds good and it sounds right, but it's still this works-based. It's between, between sin and transformation is me. It's like punishment, now I have to repent. I have to do this. I have to say the right prayer. I have to do whatever. But how Jesus actualizes this, embodies it, the vision of God that Jesus embodies is, yes, there is sin, right? We, we could agree that that's a part of the world. There is pain. There is hurt. There is wounding. But instead of punishment, we have unconditional love. Unconditional love. And that unconditional love transforms us, and now we live a repentant life. Our, ch- our minds have been changed. That's how this works. That's how Jesus actualizes it. That's why Jesus, by the way, why all the miracle stories that we have of Jesus, they're really not about healing. That's not the point of the story. The story is to say, you have a framework of sin, punishment, and now you have disease. That was the framework. Sin, punishment, disease, they get what they deserve. And so Jesus comes in and says, okay, let's get the sin part right. Then he walks up, he says, your sins are forgiven. And they go, how dare you? How dare you, sir? And he says, okay, so you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. See, the healing was always about like undoing this pattern of sin, punishment, repentance. No, he says, no, 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 like, you're, it's done. <laughs> it's done. Go, be free. Like, that was the whole point. So here's what I don't want us to miss today. And I've used a lot of words so far, and I'm only about a third of the way through, so no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Loving kindness, divine kindness, transforms people. What will not transform people is judgment, punishment, threats. You can modify behavior for a few years, maybe 18 or so. (laughs) Some of you were in that world, right? You're like, yep, my behavior was modified. My behavior was, and then I turned like 18, 19, and that authority went away, and it turned to influence, and I didn't want them to have any influence in my life. So it works for a season, right? And you can even feel successful, but at the end of the day, What will transform people is loving kindness. So what if we built our capacity for kindness? What if we made some choices in our everyday, normal, peacemaking lives that said, how can I grow my capacity? So capacity building is kind of an organizational term. It's what organizations do to grow their infrastructure, strengthen infrastructure so they can do more for their mission, right? So if you're Coca-Cola, you want to get as much Coca-Cola products out as you can, you might build a new facility. That's capacity building, infrastructure, right? But we can do this in our own lives. Like we can do capacity building, and capacity building usually happens by either adding resources or removing barriers. Removing barriers. So as an individual, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you want to build your capacity for kindness, put your faith in loving kindness. Put your faith in forgiveness. Put your faith in unconditional love. And let that start to transform you. You know, I think sometimes I, I can get a bad rap. Like I don't, 
I don't value the idea of, of what is oftentimes referred to as point salvation, right? Like, raise your hand, repeat the prayer after me, and now you're in. Uh, and I really don't value that. I think that's voodoo, to be honest with you, in a lot of ways. They just, I just throw that out there. I think you're going to stick with me if you're here already. But like, <laughs> I think that's kind of voodoo to just say, if I say the right prayer, I'm, I'm somehow good with God in the universe. My point is you're good with God in the universe. <laughs> it doesn't even matter what you pray. But there is something powerful about a, a moment where you experience like the awakening, <laughs> This awakening to what God actually is, this awakening to what love actually is. And I think that's very, very powerful to step into what is versus invite something out of you that is into your life as if there were a point in your life where you weren't with God and now you're with God. That's a framework that leads to a lot of unhealthy spirituality. So I think there's something very powerful about saying in this moment, I'm recognizing that Unconditional love transforms my life, and unconditional love can transform my world, and forgiveness can transform my world, and this is the way of Jesus, and I want to live in that way of wholeness. And I think that that is a type of salvation. I don't think it has much to do with heaven or hell, quite honestly, those concepts, but I think it has a lot to do with people living in hell right now in our world, the hell of unforgiveness, the hell of hunger. I think there's a lot of that there. So I'm not down on saying on this day, I've decided to, like Matthew in scripture, get up and leave my tax collecting way of life and follow Jesus. There's something powerful about that, but it has nothing to do with whether or not God was ever with you or not with you. It just has everything to do with, here's my framework now. These are, there's a value shift and I'm gonna start to live into this. So if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to listen to the whisper of God. And this is what it means to surrender your life and there is no joke about it. It is a surrendering. It is a living into a value system that is oftentimes very contrary to the values that were given in the world in which we live. And I want to encourage you to build margin into your life. Margin. I love this concept of margin. I would say about every two or three years, I would try and teach a series, a whole series on margin. Because we push ourselves so hard. So margin uh, is defined, uh, I think Swenson is his last name. He wrote the book, Dennis is nodding at me, so I think that's who it was. Great book on margin, he's a doctor. Margin is defined as the differential between the load and the limit that you have, right? So you can only put so much of a load on your finances, right? And you push it up to your limits, right? It's the idea of, is there any money left over at the end of the month, or is there more month for the money than the money, right? So that limit, same with our time, our talent, right? So, so where is that space? And here's what margin teaches. Margin teaches that relationships flourish in the margins of our lives. So the better the margin we have, the better our relationships will be. So we have to learn to say no we ha- so that we can say yes. We have to learn to say, I could, but I don't, so that I can. I could, but I don't, so that I can. So think of it like this. I don't have anything going on on Saturday. I could schedule something, but I won't so that I can be available should the Spirit whisper in my life. We're ready for that margin. And then the last thing I want to encourage us in our everyday normal lives is to have a chicken pot pie in the freezer ready to go. (laughs) Super practical. Costco. It's like 17 bucks, I think, 20 bucks. Chicken pot pie will feed like 12 people. It is seasonal, though, so you got to figure out something else in the off-season. 
we've got a pasta dish right now in the freezer ready to go. And this is simply a, a very simple way when I see a post on Facebook, something in our orange dots of hope, a friend that's going through something, I can easily say, hey, we'll bring dinner over. And I just bring over a frozen pot pie and say, deal with it. No, I cook it beforehand and <laughs> drop it off. <laughs> it costs me nothing but 20 bucks. It's easy to do. I stick it in the oven and I let it cook for an hour and a half and then drive it to somebody's house. And it seems silly, but if we're not ready to do those things, we'll never do them. But if we plan for it, you'll be surprised how often the opportunity shows up. But you got to have the margin for it. You got to have whatever it looks like. And you can figure out how to do this in your own way, in your own world, whatever that is. Maybe it's not a chicken pot pie. Maybe it's not anything. You, I, I had one friend who would keep a cooler in their car. And they would put water in it and soda. And anytime they would come up in the heat of the day to a crew of construction workers working on the road, something like that, they'd just real quick pull over and say, hey, I got cold water. Does anybody want one? They'd all come over, get a cold water, and they'd say, hey, have a great day. Just that act of kindness. Now, that is not a random act of kindness. That is a very well thought through, intentionally lived life that might feel like a random act of kindness to somebody else. But that's a very intentional way of bringing peace and hope into somebody's life. And, and it makes this world a better place, like, which I think this is what it's about. So I think the idea of being a part of a faith community and religion and a relationship with God in Jesus is to become better, is to make the world better. And the, the church word is to bring glory to God. Okay, that's the church word for it, lest you think I don't believe that. <laughs> but I think the real lived out is just to become better, to become what we're called to be as human beings. And this, this, this simple like living out of kindness, it tells people that you're valuable. You're valuable. And when you know you're valuable, gosh, you can, you can conquer a lot of things. When you understand your worth, boy, you're able to withstand a lot. The truth is, in our lives, the more we understand the unconditional loving kindness of God that sustains and holds us, not regardless of our shortcomings, but because of them. Like, it's, it's not in spite of, but it's embracing. It's like God sees all that as part of who we are. Like, now I can just be secure. I can be secure in when I fail. I can be secure in when I win. I, can, I have that value. And when I understand and experience that loving kindness, it transforms and changes everything. And now I get to go, I get to do this in other people's lives. And I don't have to get caught up in it being this super complicated thing. I'll just change the world one chicken pot pie at a time. And just do what I can over time with what God gives me. Just to say, you are valuable. And that can change somebody's life. So as we wrap up today, we're going to have a blessing for the fathers and for those engaged in fatherhood. We're going to celebrate fathers that are a part of our network here in just a minute. And as we do that, just what is God inviting you into today? Maybe today you feel God whispering, I'm going to put my faith in the power of unconditional love and forgiveness. Maybe you've been going to church. Maybe you even call yourself a Christian for a long time, but you say, I just don't know if I've really put my faith in love. Maybe I put my faith in judgment. Maybe I put my faith in, you know, what I understand about scripture or my own wisdom or my own ability to repent. And you say, today, I just, I want to try this, like put my faith in love and I'm just going to love. I'm going to love. I'm going to just be this outpouring of love. I'm going to return all hate, 
with love, all unkindness with love. I'm just, I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to go for it. That's putting your faith in it. Maybe you just feel that God whispering to you, just become more intentional and prepared to show kindness. Maybe you had an idea when I talked about the chicken pot pie. You were like, oh yeah, I could do this. We'll go do that. And maybe when I was talking about margin, you were like, oh, that's me. <laughs> I am way over my limits. I'm just not available. My garage is full. I have no room in it. <laughs> my life is just too full. I've got to start figuring out how do I create the space? What in my life could I say not now to? What in my life could I put on pause? What could I not purchase so that I could have some space available to lean into the spirit of Jesus and hear those whispers, to hear those whispers? So we got a little video here to celebrate dads, a Father's Day blessing, and then a prayer song, a song that's a prayer for all of us to live into this kindness of God, to be this in our world. Check this out.